0: Welcome to Engage Boise. We hope that you enjoy this live recording of our Sunday service. This morning, uh, we're wrapping up this series we've been in called Heaven in the Real World. Uh, Next week, we're going to transition to this series, uh, Thanksgiving in the Psalms. And that, along with Christmas, that's kind of going to take us through the rest of the the calendar year 2023. Today, though, we're actually going to pick pick up uh, where we left off a couple of weeks ago. I had this message in mind about going out to where it is deeper for the weekly welcome, Pastor Joey and Katie. So that's why I kind of sandwiched it in the middle. That's why I split it up this way. But if you weren't here two weeks ago, might seem like a really long time ago to remember. Uh, we spent the morning talking about this event where Jesus feeds a large amount of people from just a small lunch. It wasn't the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, but the feeding of the 4,000 with, it says, seven loaves and a few fish. We read the account in Mark chapter 8. We talked in detail about how there's similarities, similarities between the feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000, but they're actually very different events. We're going to refer to a couple of concepts that we unpacked two weeks ago, so just want to revisit them, repeat a couple of things. One thing to remember, and we're going to kind of talk about this today, is that the people that were the closest to Jesus had the most to learn. The other thing we talked about is how Jesus always brings an answer, but it's not always the same as the answer before. And the reason the miracle was needed was different, the feeding of the 4,000 than it was the 5,000. Although the result was the same, a multitude was fed, many of the details of how it happened were different. God did that way for a reason. But if we're going to keep reading in Mark chapter 8, like we're going to do today, we would see that there is more that Jesus had for the disciples. He had more for them to learn, more for them to understand. I believe that this morning the desire of Jesus is that we, as his people, would experience more of who he is. We've all been in... You know, situations where we are teaching something to someone, and uh, we can see maybe that they are coming along slowly, and they are maybe learning, but as the one who is teaching, uh, we can see that there is more that they could be doing. There is more that they could be learning. I don't know how many of you have ever given, uh, like, lessons of any kind to anyone for anything. Been able to give a few kids and teenagers basic guitar, basic uh, bass lessons a few times. Almost for sure, there's a few things that happen when you go to teach someone to play guitar or play bass. Almost for sure, the first time they pick it up, it's way harder than they think it's going to be. They pick the thing up, and a lot of the reason it's way harder is because how painful it is on your fingers at first. It's always sore on your fingers. If you can make it through the first like week to ten days and get some calluses, then you might survive it. And if I was teaching somebody guitar, there was a few things that I would always choose first. Teach first, I'd always teach them a few easy chords. I would teach them what we call the major scale. I would always try and find a song that was easy that maybe they knew because the sooner you can play a song, the more fun it is to keep going through it. If they were really invested in it, I would teach them how to play with a metronome because it really helps your rhythm and your timing. And almost inevitably, if they had, like, any gifting at it at all, if they could overcome the finger pain in the first, like, three, five, seven days, uh, then they would pick up those first few things pretty quickly. We'd work on the hand position, you know, like where to put your thumb or a scale or a chord or a simple song. Uh, One of the things I always like to teach, especially teenagers, is I would teach them the, uh, the Darth Vader theme from Star Wars. We would, like, note it out because everyone knows that song, right? And you could practice it in the different strings, But here's the last thing we talked about every single week with teenagers. Here's what to practice this week. Every single week with Alpha, here's what to practice. But the majority of the time, you can probably guess what happened the next time. We just started over. (laughs) Because they hadn't touched it. There were a few students where I would always say, and sometimes I would just think, hey, there's so much more you could be doing Uh, you could be so much better at this. You could learn so much more. There's so much more if you just practice like a little, like 10 minutes a day. Some of them, a few of them did it. Most of them didn't. And I'm sure that I'm not immune to the problem. I'm sure people have tried to teach me things over the year and think, man, that little stinker. wish he would just practice and try harder. But this is the place where Jesus has come to in Mark chapter 8. Not just with his disciples, but just with the religious people who sometimes hounded him at every turn. What we find out is that the disciples, maybe even us today, we may have more in common with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law than we might like to think. You see, the heart of Jesus, even towards those who opposed him, and I believe this, was for them to experience more of what he had. So Jesus, his heart is that we would experience more of what he has. And I believe this morning the desire of Jesus, no matter where we are in our walk with him, so we'd experience more of who he is. We're going to read together, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21. Pull out your phones, open up your app if you would like to. Reading to you this morning out of the NIV. Uh, this is immediately following the feeding of the 4,000. It says this The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? You still don't understand. We see first as Jesus directly addresses the Pharisees, his opponents. Number one, there is more than what our eyes can see. To know exactly where Jesus and the disciples are geographically, right, we can take a look at uh, verse 10, which is where we left off two weeks ago. You just look back one verse. It says Jesus got into the boat with his disciples, went to the region of Dalmuntha, the miracle of provision uh, for the Gentiles and the feeding of the 4,000 had occurred, and they had gotten in a boat together. And this is actually the only time uh, this place in all of ancient literature that Dalmuntha is mentioned, all of ancient literature. But because there is another account of the feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew, where he writes they got into the boat and they went to Magadan. Uh, it's probably identical, just another name for the city. In fact, what this was, was one of the many, remember last week we talked about how there was fishing ports scattered all around the Sea of Galilee. This was one of those places. And the text here that we just read, it tells us that the Pharisees were somewhat lying in wait for Jesus. And what I uh, found as I studied this week uh, is that our modern translations kind of understate exactly what was happening with the Pharisees when Jesus landed in the boat. Very thankful for this commentary I've been uh, studying on Mark. Uh, it's by James, Edward. James Edwards, the pillar New Testament commentary. It's awesome. Uh, it's kind of helped me make sense of some of these words and, and why it comes off a little different. And I have some of these for you on the screen. I think the Greek word, I'm not even going to try and. Uh, pronounce the Greek words for you because that would just be not good and hilariously bad. So uh, the Greek word that's translated came, I think it's up there on the screen, uh, is the same word used if you're talking about a military force confronting you. That's the, that's the type of word that's being used there. The Greek word that is interpreted question, it means something like to dispute or to oppose. They're not asking him a polite question, they're disputing it, opposing him. The Greek word that's rendered asked It means to attempt to gain control of. You can see why they don't put all those words in there because it would be wordy and hard to read. But this is what the Pharisees were doing. So when we unpack this just a little bit, it tells us that what is happening is not exactly a chance encounter. The Pharisees, they might not have known that Jesus was coming. You know, they didn't have social media and cell phones to text ahead and all that good stuff. But they did have an agenda for when they saw him next. And these Pharisees, they're ready to say, all right, you know what? Enough is enough. The next time we see this Jesus fellow, here is what is going to happen. So they get organized, kind of like an army preparing for battle. They've got a plan as to how they're going to dispute what Jesus has been saying. They're saying to themselves, we are going to prove this guy wrong this time. And their ultimate goal, if we look at the the Greek, their goal is to gain control of the one who claims to be the son of God. But the thing that doesn't make sense and what you may have picked up on and what I've always picked on when I read this is that why are they asking him for a sign? He just came from miraculously feeding 4,000 people with a small lunch. Why are they asking him for a sign? We think of a sign as some kind of miraculous event. Something that... Uh, tells our five senses that something that's being said is true. It seems kind of strange for these Pharisees to say because those types of signs, if you think of them that way, they've been following Jesus everywhere he goes. He's been feeding multitudes. He's been healing the sick and the lame. He's been raising people from the dead. But these types of miracles, these would not have been enough for the Pharisees. And the reasoning would have been this, if we can follow it, in the Old Testament. If someone contradicted what you believed but still performed some kind of miracle, then they were to be considered not from God. And it happened in the Old Testament. Great example is the Egyptian magicians. They were able to do similar miracles to Moses when they were trying to leave Egypt. And they were breaking the commandment, "Thou thou shalt have no other gods before me. Because they were not calling on the one true God. But once again, the tip off to what the Pharisees were looking for is the Greek word that's used. This one I, I can pronounce. The word Mark always uses in his gospel for miracle is dynamis. And that's not the one that is used here. The word used is actually "simeon," which means something like outward proof of divine authority. seems obvious to us if we read this, right, and if we'd been around maybe that Jesus had done enough to prove who he was. But the problem was Jesus was a different type of savior than they wanted. In this case, they were trying to compare Jesus to an Old Testament false prophet and trap him. They thought that was their best avenue. The problem is they were not looking for someone to serve and to heal. They were looking for someone who was going to march and who was going to conquer. When they didn't see what they wanted, they started asking him, give us a sign. What they were looking for was an audible voice from God. They were looking for someone to fit inside their box, not someone who was going to change the way they thought. And what the response of Jesus tells us, friends, and I believe this is true for us today, is our faith cannot be anchored by spectacular signs. If our faith, friends, it's kind of hard to hear or read sometimes, if our faith is based solely on a miracle or a sign, or more importantly, uh, to make it modern in 2023, more importantly, then satisfying whatever our next demand is, then our faith is only as good as the next demand that is satisfied. And there actually isn't much faith at all. This is why it says next that Jesus sighs deeply and he asks, why do you keep doing this? He sighs deeply because in his heart, Jesus is grieved because those people who know the most about the things of God, the people who have the Torah memorized... They seem to be missing it so badly. Jesus, he's not angry here, but he's dismayed. He's thinking, how could my father's chosen people be this deceived? And in a sense, what they're doing, the Pharisees, is they're repeating the mistakes of their Old Testament relatives. Remember, in the Old Testament, we talked a little bit about this on Wednesday night. In the Old Testament, the Israelites, they had the cloud by day and the fire by night. They had the cloud by day and the fire by night, but they still built a golden calf to worship. Jesus was wanting them to know here that there is more than what their five senses were telling them. I wonder, though, how often, I wonder how often I, uh, in 2023, how often we do the same. We say this, well, if God will just do this one thing at this one time that I choose, then that will be enough for me to believe. God will only do what I ask him at the time I ask him. Friends, faith that depends solely on an outward sign, it's not faith, but it's veiled doubt. What God spoke to me this week is that truth, faith comes when we believe in what we can't see rather than what we tell God he must do. We're not going to spend a whole lot more time with the Pharisees here because Jesus doesn't either. Verse 13 tells us, he left them, got back into the boat, crossed to the other side. Pharisees remained on the shore, walked away. The disciples got into the boat, followed Jesus into the boat. And that's where we see his interactions with his disciples. And we see number two, with deeper relationship comes deeper understanding. As we read this story, I think our hope is that Jesus left the unbelievers. He left the bad guys on the shore. But as we read, we see that at least some of the attitude of the Pharisees, of the teachers of the law, it has come along for the ride in the boat. Look at verse 14 through 16. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Man, I love so much reading the Gospels. I love reading about Jesus, and I love reading about the people that were with him. Because if we read about the people that were with him, they seem so normal sometimes. Right? If you're like me, maybe you grew up around church, and you grew up seeing the paintings of the biblical scenes. I saw one just this last Friday. I went to a memorial service. And these paintings of biblical scenes of biblical characters of Jesus or the disciples, they depict soft light, right? Flowing hair, and some of the Bibles that were laying around at these places, everyone might have been called Saint, right? Saint Matthew, Saint Mark, Saint Luke, Saint John, and all of that stuff actually is awesome and fine. It's great to honor those who wrote down the word of God that we read today. But we see here, I believe, how exactly how normal the disciples are. Remember where they just came from. Jesus just fed four thousand people with seven loaves and a few fish. He's talked about how those people, the disciples were there for this. He's talked about how the people that supposedly know God the best, they're missing the point. You're an evil generation. Stop asking me for a sign. And then he literally left them on the other side of the lake. This is what has just happened. And Jesus, he gets in the boat. He's left those Pharisees behind. And he's like, okay, I'm going to teach my guys something important. I'm going to teach my 12 guys something important. But at some point... The disciples realized they forgot to bring enough bread for lunch or for dinner. Man, I can imagine these guys opening the basket that they had brought with for food. They start pointing fingers. Oh, who was on lunch duty this time? Come on, you guys. We're out here on the boat. We brought one loaf of bread. Are you serious? I, man, I, I get hungry so easy. I even get hangry, as my sons do. And I can see myself getting caught up in this. Jesus' heart—it is grieved because of how far these religious people are from understanding who He is. And I can imagine myself being in the boat, like, "Look, I'm hungry. When is it time to eat? Is it almost lunchtime? Is it almost dinner time? Is it almost what's that thing Lord of the Rings asks for—second breakfast? Is it almost time for second breakfast?" Here's the thing, much like we tend to do, the disciples, they were focused on what had happened, but they weren't understanding what was happening now. They didn't even realize it at the time, but it was the exact same thing the Pharisees had been doing. The Pharisees, they had been so focused on the concept of God that they thought they knew that they were missing the Son of God right in front of them. So Jesus, he tries to bring them back around for his moment, and he looks at his 12 closest friends They're with him in the boat, and he says to them, be really careful you don't end up the same way. Be really careful you don't end up like the Pharisees. The Pharisees and Herod, the Roman ruler, they didn't have a lot in common. The only thing they had in common is that they opposed Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and he says, be careful you don't end up opposing me like those people. Now, once again, if I'm in the boat, it probably gets real quiet as they look around at each other. Like, oh, man. But they go right on missing the point in verse 16. They say, great, now he knows we forgot the bread. He didn't know, and now he knows. Way to go. Come on, Peter, how much did you eat while he was talking to the Pharisees? You were supposed to save it. Man, can we just make a list next time and check the things off the list before we get into the boat? We see here what the disciples do. They continue to be focused on a physical problem, but the greater danger is the condition of their hearts. The hope of Jesus for the disciples, his hope for us this morning is that we will not only see what Jesus has done, but that we will understand what he still wants to do. Man, the disciples, they're here, they're doing something specific that is common to us even today. And that is uh, uh, they're worried about a need that Jesus has already proven he is able to take care of. They're worried about something getting taken care of that Jesus has already proven he can do. They're asking about bread. They're cranky. They have one loaf of bread. And they have seen him feed the multitudes with just a little more than that. And they've seen it twice. And yet they're in the boat with the guy who did that, arguing with each other about not having enough bread with them. Even though that need, the physical need for bread, it's been taken care of over and over again. And they've seen it. The problem is because it's not done in their timing like right now. It's occupying all of their attention. Right, Lord, I wanted to eat. Um, Listen, it's 1136. And 1130 was when I wanted to eat. Because it's occupying their attention, they are missing what Jesus, the son of God, in the boat wants to say to them. It's not like it was never a need, or even that they might be getting hungry. But this focus on what has already happened is keeping them from discovering what's next. Yeah, and I have to tell you, this is such a temptation in church today. Such a temptation is someone who leads a church, who's part of uh, the Assemblies of God, because it's really easy to see everything through the lens of what has already happened instead of what God might be wanting to do, right? It's really easy for us, it's really easy for me to just call on the same people when God might be doing something else new in somebody else. It's easy for us to use the method that we've always used when God might be directing us to try something new. And it's not that those things from before weren't great, we're celebrating, it's not that we should forget them. The beautiful thing is that God often brings miracles and people that we remember fondly into the new thing that he is doing. He takes those amazing things we've discovered and done and he brings them into the new thing that he's doing. Jesus is saying to the disciples, he's saying, hey, the provision of bread was wonderful. But what I want you to do is stop focusing on that need. And I want you to understand this, friends. I am the bread of life in the living water. Anyone who finds me will never go hungry or thirsty again. That's why I did the miracle, so I could teach them that. Friends, there is more for us to discover about the goodness of God. But it takes us being willing to come to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. It's amazing. He's not just the provider of the bread, but he is the bread of life itself. Finally, these last verses, the last passage in this series as we get ready to wrap up heaven in the real world, we see this. Number three, the biggest obstacle to more is a hard heart. I had to swallow hard when I typed that this week. Mark chapter 8, verse 17 through 21 says this. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts... Hardened, do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, Seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? Man, those first four words that we read there uh, in verse 17, they're so stark to me. They stand out. Those four words, aware of their discussion. You see, friends, Jesus, he always knows the condition of our heart. He's always aware of the discussion we're having, even if it's just with ourselves. We see throughout Scripture, we see it all the time, Jesus often knows people's thoughts without them ever speaking. In this case, however, I wonder if Jesus wasn't in the boat reminding his own business, kind of doing the face palm inside, like, you know I can hear you, right? <laughs> the bread and the baskets, you know I can hear you, right? The, Mark, the word that Mark uses for the discussion the disciples are having is used seven times in the gospel of Mark, but it's never used in a positive light. The other times we're referring to the scribes and the Sanhedrin arguing. Jesus, he can see that they do not understand what he is attempting to communicate. He can see that they are in danger of missing why he even came in the first place. It wasn't to do miracles or provide food, but it was ultimately to bring life. The miracles, the food, and the healing, those are great. But his goal, the reason he came, lived a life with no sin, died and rose again, was to bring life. And though these men, they have spent more time with Jesus than anyone, and if anyone should understand more fully what Jesus is doing on earth, it's these 12 guys. I'm so grateful, friends. This is the best part. I'm so grateful that Jesus does not leave them there. So grateful that Jesus, he does not ever stop trying to soften a heart that's hard. Instead of tossing them overboard. Instead of stepping out of the boat, walking away from them on the water, right? We know that Jesus can do that. Instead of finding the closest port, leaving them all there just like he just did the Pharisees. Instead of doing those things, he begins to confront them and he begins to ask them questions that spur their hearts and minds towards understanding. In those verses, we see Jesus ask those questions over and over. Do you not see, do you not hear? Do you not remember? Do you still not understand that there is more? This, I believe, is why Jesus asks them these two key questions in here. Right Jesus asks them two questions. He asks, "How much was left over after the feeding of the 5,000? You're asking about bread, fine. How much was left over after the feeding of the 5,000? The answer they remember, because it was such an incredible moment, was 12 baskets. I believe it was 12 baskets on purpose, one for each disciple. I believe he was proving a point to them. This is how faithful I can be, one leftover for each of you. He also asks how much was left over after the feeding of the 4,000. The answer is, of course, seven baskets, the exact same number of loaves that they started with. I believe that what Jesus wants them to see, what he wants us to see today, is that even after the miracle, there is still more to learn and understand. Even after the miracle in our lives, there's still more to learn and understand. Friends, there was bread left over because Jesus did not intend for the miracle to stop there. Disciples, they were having more They were having trouble understanding, and they were more like the Pharisees than they wanted to admit. But I'm so grateful that Jesus, instead of leaving them to their own devices, he continued to bring them on the journey day by day. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm just going to drop you guys off and find 12 new guys. He continues to bring them on the journey day by day. And these twelve guys, the guys who are missing the point, the guys who were worried about the one loaf of bread, who were pointing fingers at each other, they would have a front row seat as Jesus continued to heal the sick. They'd have a front row seat as Jesus would cast out demons that no one had ever been able to cast out. They would have a front row seat as he would teach boldly in the synagogue. They'd have a front row seat as he would show them what it meant to serve. Compassion toward the disciples. It would enable them to take the gospel all over the world after the death and resurrection of Jesus. These same guys, these ones who were arguing about who forgot the bread in the presence of the man who provided enough bread for 4,000 people, they would lead thousands to Christ in a matter of months. The ones who really struggled in this moment with deepening their understanding, they would write the words down that guide us in this book to this very day. the way it translates to us is that after the miracle of salvation or rededication or deliverance or calling in our lives the understanding hopefully has not ended but it's just beginning God's hope is that the understanding has not ended or stopped but it's just beginning and we will what we must know though sitting in church today is that neglecting to grow in understanding it leads us to a hardness of heart if we refuse to grow in understanding it leads us to a hardness of heart And the hard truth is is that sometimes the most moral, the most religious people, they end up with hearts that are hardened. Because they believe, uh, they know what there is to know. And they have already determined what will work. Well, friends, the Lord spoke to me this week. I hope he's speaking to you that when we stop understanding, our hearts can grow hard. When we stop seeking Jesus for understanding, our hearts can grow hard. And to approach it really briefly from the other side, it's not that that experience we had with God does not matter. But a failing to grow in understanding, it leads us to hardness of heart. Also, believing blindly with no actual experience to base the belief on, that would lead to hardness of heart as well. Here's the end of its day. I believe that the hope of Jesus for his church is that we will take our experience with him. We would take our miracle and we would combine it with a pursuit of his heart each day. I hope all of you were thinking of a moment you've had with the Lord. A moment you came to belief in Christ. The moment that God revealed something profound to you. The moment he called you to ministry. We would allow it to be the starting point of our journey with him instead of proof that we have arrived. What this means for us, friends, what it comes down to for us in this room as people who know the Lord is that we must never stop growing in our relationship with God. And we have to not place our hope solely in remembering what God did before, although those things are awesome, but we also have to walk forward into what God is doing now. Would you close your eyes just for a moment? Uh, we're going to sing a song together as we close here in a moment. But as Pastor Joey uh, prays, I just want to encourage you to prepare your heart. We're going to sing a little bit of this song. Uh, we're going to sing in the faith. That will make room for you to do whatever you want to, Lord. And uh, I just encourage you to ask God to reveal something new to you. I'm so grateful that uh, even when I... Um, I try to wet, rest on what I discovered before and solely on that, that God does not leave me in the boat. And he brings me along for the journey. Let's pray this morning as we get ready to sing for God to help us remember fondly what he has done, what he has brought us through, but also uh, help us press into what is next. Or take a moment, just let the Lord speak to you before we sing. allow God to speak to your heart this morning. Lord, I thank you for all the moments I can think back on in my life in my 44 years. I, I can Uh, point to the exact moments when I know that you were with me Lord I thank you for the moment that uh, camp in 10th grade in Sun Valley where you called me uh, to ministry called me to work in your church for the rest of my life Lord I thank you so much for that moment in Seattle wondering what my next step was after college and my eyes were closed and Lord, I I felt you standing right next to me and speaking. Thank you for those moments we have and I just pray that you would impress those upon your people this morning but also Lord, help us not to just stand on those but to press forward into what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to every heart in this place youngest to oldest what it is you might have for them next people are wondering what their next steps might be, Lord Jesus, I pray that you uh, would speak those into their hearts and minds in this moment. Lord, as we stand in a moment and we begin to sing in faith, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. Here is where I lay it down. Lord, as we lay our lives down to you anew today, I pray that you uh, would speak those new dreams, those new things into our hearts. Thank you for the miracles you've done. We will not forget them, Lord, but I pray you'd call us each individually to new things. Friends, would you stand this morning as we just sing before we finish? Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, you can visit us at engageboise.com. Have an amazing day.